0: This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry.
1: Another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. I'm all still getting used to the solo co-host thing. I always want to say, like my co-host Kara says Mario, but ever since she became really important as the president of the Canadian Camping RV Council, now she had to step away from our show due to her crazy, busy, important schedule that is way more valuable than whatever I do on a weekly basis here. Anyway, super excited to be here for our Campground Hunter show. Happens the third week of every single month, and we regularly welcome a couple of recurring guests with us. We've only got one of our recurring guests today. Nate was the only one who showed up from KCN Campgrounds. Welcome, Nate. Thank we you. Have really a Glad special to be here. surprise in the mail for you that will probably get lost in the mail, but just know that it's coming. Oh, look, there's Scott up too. He was in the background. Welcome,
2: Scott. Thank you. Thrilled to be here.
1: From Ivy Management Group, super excited to have them here, and then a couple of special guests. So, we got Mark LeMoyne, owner of a KOA campground in Michigan, is going to tell us about that, as well as some really cool things that he's been doing, how he got started, and some maybe a popular appearances that he has recently done that he wants to tell us about, too. We got Adam Lendy, and I'm sorry, Adam, what is your partner saying? I apologize so much, I just don't remember. I'm a bad host. Can you hear us, Adam? Oh, we can't hear you. All right, and then we have Shannon on the show too, and she just had her grand opening at her park in the Great Smoky Mountains last week, hmm. so she's going to talk a little bit about her journey there and all those kinds of fun things, and yeah. hopefully we'll share some insights with you. i super excited about that. Adam, if you get your mic fist, let us know. We did hear you, I feel like, in the beginning, but I promise you we're not intentionally trying to mute you. So, what do we have before we talk to our special guests and let them introduce themselves briefly? Nate, Scott, is there anything that's come across your desk in the last couple of weeks since we've last had the show that you feel like a super important us to cover? talk about discuss
0: we've talked about it a couple of times already on the show, but I think the, the advent of AI becoming mainstream, you and I've talked about this a bunch, Brian, both on the show and off the most recent kind of monthly report that KOA puts out highlighted that pretty significantly. That's something that we're focusing on more over the last month, just based on that and some of the internal work we're doing, but other than that, that's been the big push on our side.
1: Do you know, I we had a conversation with Mark before the show went live and he has mm-hmm. not actually played with chat GPT despite KOA releasing a AI research report <laughs> it said like how many percentage of campers are using Over AI to military? Over 30
0: yeah. percent. It's crazy.
2: And so Brian still Mark. likes like, you on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. So
1: here's the thing like we can't blame Mark because he is actually a celebrity who has appeared on CNBC. And talked about his campground. So he was probably like, to be fair, he was busy doing way more important things than whatever we do on the show.
3: In addition, hosting 15,000 people right now. So
1: that too. Yeah, I guess he does run a campground, but we all know people buy campgrounds to retire. A little bit of a bass on that one, Mark. But <laughs> uh, anything else from your perspective, Scott?
2: To, to Nate's point, we actually just rolled out Campy at another park, right? So we have an AI assistant at two of our parks, and, and I think that's done a really great job at providing some additional bandwidth to our customer service agents up front to allow them to be more focused on FaceTime and the calls that they're receiving. Anytime to allow their attention to be more focused is a great tool. So we have enjoyed playing with that. Awesome. I definitely don't like we've taken up
1: enough time and I'm obsessed with AI all the time, right? So let's talk about something a little yeah. bit more, maybe not more interesting, but different, right? Adam, can you hear us now? Can we hear, I guess you could hear us. Can we hear you?
4: Yeah, we can hear you now. If something happened. Your intro video played and then it just froze everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all it's right. Just, we had to restart. We made it.
1: Honestly, the video is coded with a little AI thing to hack your computer and it's not supposed to be obvious. So I apologize for that. You yeah, that's invest. all right.
4: As long as you buy great stuff on my credit card, I'm good with it.
1: <laughs> Depends on your definition of great. Yeah, I just share. That's all. <laughs> all right. Welcome, Adam and Justin. Appreciate this. Let's let's go around the room real quick. Just have briefly introduce our special guests who aren't normally with us. So, Adam and Justin, if you want to go first, and then Mark, and then Shannon, and then we can dive into each of your stories a little bit.
4: Yeah, you bet. I'm Adam Lendy, one of the founders of Beyonder Camp and Beyonder Holdings campground investment and management group so we own
5: a few campgrounds Um, justin good yeah justin hoggett also a partner with adam here we started a little over two and a half years ago and currently have six parks in our bag
1: awesome congratulations guys can't wait to dig in and hear more about that mark you want to go ahead
3: Sure. I'm Mark LeMoyne. Together with my wife, Carla, we own and operate the Coloma St. Joseph KOA Holiday in beautiful Southwest Michigan. We are more traditional franchisees, mom and pop, as you would probably call us, where this is the only park that we own and operate and fully enjoy it. We are in our eighth season this year.
1: But don't sell yourself short. He also does a great number of things for care camps and helps millions of children. And we'll talk about that too. So I appreciate would, that. Man many yeah. Appreciate that. Shannon?
6: I'm Shannon Connolly. My husband Thomas and I just opened our first. Park in the Smoky Mountains in Cosby, Tennessee. It's been a crazy few weeks, so our park is called Romestead. We hope that this is the first of many locations for us, but we're really excited to to get started in the Smoky Mountains, which is my my home territory.
1: Let's talk to you first, Shannon, because I know I don't know because I'm not brave enough to own a park, but I assume that after a grand opening weekend and everybody coming in and you doing the one or two things that are on a campground artist's plate during that period that you might be forgetting things the more minutes we make you wait. So talk a little, little about your park and your journey there.
6: I would love to. Yeah, so we purchased this property in December and have been in the midst of renovations ever since. So our my husband and I and our two kids have done quite a bit of traveling in our camper over the last few years and just were a little bit disappointed with some of the campgrounds out there from a cleanliness perspective and- uh, Anything specifically
1: you, you wanna mention or?
6: No. Of
1: course not. Of yeah, course not. It wasn't a KOA in Michigan. It
6: absolutely was not, though so right. I would love to get up to that area. But but no, I, I think we love camping in our camper, but we also love staying in boutique hotels. And I just think that there's an opportunity to bridge that gap between the boutique hotel experience and the campground experience. I think the glamping industry is doing a really great job of that, but I can't always bring my camper to those locations. So I think really leveling up the campground experience, making it more modern, incorporating modern modern design, and other amenities that you might find in a typical hotel are the direction that we're headed with Rumstead.
1: What are some of the things that you've built that you feel that other campgrounds were missing?
6: I think we've started from a design perspective, really focusing on modern architecture and that sort of thing. In this particular campground, it's a remodel, and we've worked with within the parameters of the existing park and tried to really modernize the facilities so that... Being the lodge itself, we've completely gutted, remodeled it. We've added new modern style cabins and renovated all of the existing cabins. We have spa-like bathhouses that I would hope that are some of the cleanest that any campers have ever been in. I think that's a personal pet peeve of mine. I love camping and I love being outdoors, but I don't wanna shower with spiders.
1: <laughs> like prop, maybe we don't wanna go into too many details here, but describe spa-like bathroom. Cause I've been in Roman spas in Europe and that's probably different than what you're thinking of. A,
6: a little bit, yeah. So I would say very clean, we provide linens. We provide spa-grade toiletries. We provide hair dryers and that sort of thing. But I think cleanliness, and it's just a beautiful space. It feels good to be in there. So I think it's a mix of design and cleanliness and then the amenities offered within.
1: And I think people, it's easy to focus on the important aspect of that, but it's also very easy, and maybe Scott and Nate can talk to the suit, to overlook something like that too. I still remember my mom would drive 10 miles across town to the cleanest gas station she knew in the city to go to the, if she had to, right when she was out
6: hundred percent. So. I think it makes a huge difference. It's a small detail, but when you step into a nasty bathroom and you feel like you really need to be wearing your flip flops and you don't want to step on the ground, that's part of the overall experience. And it's those little pieces along the way that really make a difference in guest impression. And I say this as a frequent user, that was me. And so I think trying to implement some of those things that I feel have been lacking from some of the campgrounds that I've stayed at are just really important. And then, in addition to that, we've also got food service in our lodge, which is has been a, a great learning experience for us. I don't have any food experience whatsoever, but we have we offer pizzas, we have a, a breakfast menu, we have an espresso bar, we have craft beers, and we are also almost have our liquor license as well. So we'll be doing cocktails and campfires, and we're really excited about that. Whiskey too. Yeah, yeah. I need mean yeah, whiskey, whiskey and pizza. Moonshine. That's all. And ice
1: cream. Whiskey, pizza, and ice cream.
6: Those we are my we've got all three of those things. We make a mean milkshake. We we definitely have the whiskey covered. We could introduce you to that Smoky Mountain moonshine, which is what we're specifically known for. in, in Cock County is being a moonshine hub.
1: Whiskey's moonshine just yeah. aged longer. The exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. So, how did you? Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about opening weekend. How did it go? Was it as you expected?
6: It it was, it absolutely was. It was very much an adventure, as I'm sure anybody who has opened any type of business knows. I think you set a goal, achievable or not, and then you just have to rip the Band-Aid off and make it happen. <laughs> so the week leading up was definitely adventure, adventurous for us. We were dealing with burst pipes and everything that might go wrong at the last minute up till the minute guests are rolling in. So it was crazy, but overwhelmingly positive response from the guests that we had on property, which was a really unique group because like I said, we took over an existing campground that has been around for probably 40 years and has a very loyal client base <laughs> and It'd
1: be both good and bad right
6: absolutely we were dealing there were sort of two factions of guests in that opening week last week there were the ones who were so excited to see the changes had seen the park evolved through many iterations and were excited to see something that had you know having seen us pour a little bit of love into a property that maybe needed a little bit of reinvigoration and then there was also the faction that was like a little nervous about change but i think overall we we, we won those folks over as well at the end of the week we have a really great staff that we've built so far and i think i think by the end of the week we had everybody sold on Stud's approach to the campground business
1: awesome that's great yeah it's definitely a challenge sometimes so <laughs> let's really- uh, let's pivot to Adam and Justin, I guess. Let's talk to Adam and Justin because we talked about opening weekend expectations, growth in the industry, how maybe things have changed as you continue, like for her, for Shannon, right? It's only been a week. How long has it been for Adam and Justin? Almost three years. Almost three years. It's still, can we call you babies in the industry? Is that allowed?
4: We're, we're we get toddlers at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is actually a compliment because I keep finding out every time I tell people I've been in the industry 12 years, it's actually 15 and then 16 and then and so, it's better to be young than old.
4: Yep, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So beyond your camp, yeah.
4: Yeah. Contrarily, every, everything always goes off without a hitch for us. Every time we got a brand new opening of a park, nothing. Because you guys goes wrong. figure out the secret. There's two of you. You
6: just <laughs> have a, <laughs> deal.
4: That's right. No. All kidding aside, we've gone through our own pains. We just took over a property recently that got devastated by a storm the very next day it's we we've been through i think a lot of very costly and expensive lessons along the way but but yeah just to kind of give a little bit of background and kind of us and where we are and how we got here we're two guys who got in this as a passion project we had both had different backgrounds in real estate and things we were doing but ultimately (laughs) our families liked camping in fact it was on a camping trip together that we came up with this idea and really launched this into where we were initially we wanted to buy a few campgrounds that we were going to manage between our two families and it turned into A big operation now where we have, I think about 130 employees, including campground staff and uh, we're spread across six states, five states right now, soon to be six. And uh, we've got a ton of different campgrounds and fun. but yeah, this, it turned into us starting a private equity company to actually raise the money to buy the campgrounds we're in, turned into us starting a management company because we didn't necessarily want to outsource that to somebody else when we got into this and then yeah, just kind of the rest is history.
1: Nate asking hard questions since you guys share some similarities there with your business. Yeah, yeah, very much
0: structurally very similar. I'm super curious, where are you guys, where are your parks, where are you located geographically?
4: Yeah, we've got, so our very first campground was just outside of Iowa City, Iowa, uh, right along Interstate 80. Our second campground is in Rising Sun, Indiana, which is about 20 minutes outside of Cincinnati, across the Ohio River. Third and fourth campgrounds closed within a week of each other. Another one back in Iowa again, just outside of Cedar Rapids. Another one in Missouri, which is one of our favorite properties because it's a marina, campground, and motel mm-hmm. resort property. And then, and that's on Truman Lake, which is the sister lake to Lake of the Ozarks, if you're familiar with that area. And then, of course, our we've got a property in near Lake Charles, Louisiana, and we're mm-hmm. getting close to one in Alabama right now. Okay. That's great. In Oklahoma. I forgot just 20 minutes outside of Tulsa. Yeah. That's the most recent. So.
0: Were there specific things that led you to create your own management company? Did you try to outsource that and then pull that back in house? What was the process you went through there?
4: We never attempted to outsource it. Actually, why? We attempted to outsource it once. We, we
5: did some research
4: after we'd already started ours. We, we both came from backgrounds in residential real estate, and the thing we knew from that world is that nobody appreciates the pain of vacancy as much as the owner, and mm-hmm. and management groups don't always share that same sense of urgency. Yeah, no offense Except to anybody else in the room. Yep, yeah, from Ivy Management. <laughs> Been somebody in the room, but it was just a general distrust that we had of other management companies from other areas that just caused us to start here, starting our own management group. And coming in without any actual background in the RV hospitality experience, it was certainly a pretty big learning curve. We learned a lot of very hard and very expensive lessons early on, and fortunately, have persevered through it. Now we've got a team in place that's running pretty well. We've got run a remote management model, so in each property that we really empower to act like an owner. They're compensated like an owner. They profit share with us. And then we've got a structure over them that really helps them be successful.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. You've mentioned twice now, hard and expensive lessons. Maybe give us an example of one or two of those
4: i would say certainly as it relates to the management side of things having the right people in place Mm -hmm. that's your most crucial thing is the people we've had a couple of gms in the past and granted this is before we really tooled our models who treated it like a job and and that was just they they did the bare minimum or maybe not even that sometimes and it reflected in the performance but we've got a pretty dialed operation now where we've got a regional who oversees them and does weekly coaching with each manager individually they collaborate Mm -hmm. as a group and they set goals together. The CFO has regular financial reviews with them, so they know how to read their financial statements. They understand which metrics are important and set goals around working on improving those. I'd say that some of the most expensive and costly have been ones that you didn't necessarily feel in one blow. There are ones that took two quarters to materialize
5: in lost business or opportunities. Yeah. And Nate, to further up on that question, it would be a pool situation. And the due diligence process is always a learning experience and what to look for. What's at a campground? How old is it? What's the infrastructure really? And then does the pool work? Hard to tell in the winter. Right. Uh, you go on the word of the owner and, and then the power of water. That pool is infinitely valuable to us for the guests. And that's one of those things you don't really realize until a pool goes down and it ha- is down just, and then working with the government entities is always a good learning experience. I'm sure everyone knows that too, but
0: <laughs> the art of creativity, right on that front. Yeah, that's right. I'm, yeah.
2: I'm glad to hear you mention the due diligence process because, as a management group, that's always, I think, the hardest thing when you are having the early conversations with the owners and getting the vision of what they want the part to be. And you get super jazzed about this vision that they have. And then a month or two in, you find some cosmetic, some infrastructure thing the pool, the sewer, the something that needs a lot of money put into it and all of a sudden that vision can't materialize with the, in the time frame that you had imagined, because that money has to be reallocated. I'm glad to hear you mentioned the due diligence process, because I, I think if there's anything I'd want to highlight for owners and people running a campground, it's to, to not skimp on that process and bring the right people to the table, to look in the right places. Absolutely. And there's
5: the main point too, is there always will be a surprise. You can't find everything but it is very important as owners. Sometimes we like to cover up maybe not me personally, but we hear a lot about it. And then just making sure you have a good contractor that can go take a look time wisely, if you need to extend the closing to take a better look, it's probably worth it. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Then, and then, so as you've grown, you have you've evolved as far as the continuum of how you raise money to buy the campgrounds. It sounds I'd love to hear a little bit more about that maybe.
4: That's actually probably the most interesting part. Neither of us had any experience in private equity prior to this, zero. You know, I mean, I think when we first started, like I said, when we started into this, we planned on buying a few ourselves. We had the money to buy a couple mm-hmm. smaller ones. We are both big thinkers and we can't leave well enough alone. So it turned into, how do we buy a hundred? I think it's the number we threw out. but there was no science in that. It was just like a dartboard shot. And of course, that's still been the target is so selling on a hundred campgrounds, but we knew we were going to need other people's money for that. So we were reading books on how to syndicate mm-hmm. and how to raise capital and really learning by doing, hiring attorneys to educate us along the way. And our first property we closed, we were about one third of the investment in it personally, Mm -hmm. and the rest of the money came from friends and family. Mm -hmm. Then we brought some members on the team to bring other investors in, and we got a few new investors in the next one and a few into the next one. Now we're to the point where we're making relationships with some bigger groups that are potentially going to solve the capital woes going forward. If you have ever raised capital, you'd appreciate the pain of your, I guess the fire drill and the sleepless nights of being a little short coming up on a, Mm -hmm. on a hard
0: money deadline. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I'd love to trade notes with you more about that. Maybe offline we've gone through a similar kind of a trajectory with our funding model as well. Yeah, yeah. The first
4: couple of years weren't the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the
1: thing, right? I mean, there's so many lessons that you learn as a business owner I don't have experience owning the campground piece of it, but obviously I built my business bootstrapped it without any venture capital funds, but irreg- irregardless of that or not, there's still that, I'm going to do a couple things or a thousand things wrong until i figure out how to do this one right and that failure is necessary i think and i'm not putting words in mark's mouth but mark you went through a journey when you bought your campground certainly to where it is now you want to talk a little bit about that
3: sure just a little background i had a 24 year career in government affairs prior to deciding we're going to sell everything we own and buy the campground and i went what sounds like more of a traditional route and maybe it's uh, an example of my lack of or my limited risk tolerance even though we sold everything there was high comfort level with my wife and i becoming franchisees of koa and some people look at the business model of a franchise where you've got the mothership and you've got us individually i like to flip it I am literally, my wife and I are the owners of our own company and through our franchise dial we've hired a team of a 100 people in Billings, Montana to do a whole lot of stuff for us. So. We literally were challenged by a mentor of mine who, who asked me, I, I told him after 24 years of government affairs, I was exhausted. I couldn't imagine continuing to do this for another 20 years, given the state of government. And I don't need to probably elaborate much on that. <laughs> and he challenged me with two questions. He says, if you could do anything in the world, what would it be? And before you answer that question, if you don't change something dramatic about what you're doing, Fast forward when you're 80 years old, looking back at life, what do you regret not trying? And without hesitation, I immediately told him, I, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I've always wanted to own and operate a campground. So he continued to challenge me with, well, then you got to do it. So in conversation with my wife, we literally put pen to paper, figuring out
1: we could do it all, chips all in ourselves. I'm sorry, mean me interrupt you. I have one question though. How long was the conversation with your wife? <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
3: Like a lot of the others on the show here today, wasn't too long because we had talked about it over and over again, particularly through the years okay. when we would take our kids. So she
1: already knew your dream.
3: She already knew it. But what okay. was interesting is that for the first time, instead of telling me to suck it up buttercup, she was a stay at home mom and I was a sole breadwinner. And normally she'd tell me, go back into the marketplace, get the money in your salary that we need to support the kids. Instead, she says, why not? And at the time, our, my son was a sophomore in college, and then we had we have three daughters, a senior in high school, a freshman in high school, and a seventh grader. And I decided, yeah, let's sell everything at that juncture in our life. So it, it caused a bit of family disruption as well, but they've, they've enjoyed the adventure with us as well. But as you're saying, with with KOA, there was definitely a comp level for us. It's the largest network of privately owned and operated campgrounds uh, in the world. 500 properties in North America. It's a brand that people recognize and and many respects and our guests tell us this over and over again. They know what they're going to get. So rather than just opening up Mark and Carlos campground somewhere in Michigan or another state, we became a part of the brand and we're happy to it. So we bought a park at the time that was 42 years old. It needed a ton of work and I, I very truthfully tell guests today when they hit our property if what looks newer than 1974 I can tell you when I touched it and how much it cost and unfortunately those surprises just continue to evolve and we've learned how to have that delicate balance of infrastructure improvements along with some cosmetic things that have a wow factor for our guests and of course the bottom dollar what makes more revenue making so in that process we've completely renovated our store. We've added new site types. I really actually I have less sites in my park today than I had on the day that I bought the park, but the real estate is performing at a higher value. And in the end, it's working out for us.
1: Somewhere there's a video that exists of your park that I made before you bought it.
3: Yeah, yeah. You wanna yeah, come and do a before and after that. shot, Brian?
1: Yeah, for a nostalgia <laughs> thing, so. I have to get yeah. to Michigan it turns out everything is expensive from Canada, but go ahead, Nate. Yeah.
0: Question for you, Mark. So you talked about varying up the, uh, the mix of site types as you've grown the park and maybe higher yielding, but smaller number of sites numerically, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Like what kinds of sites have you introduced? Where are you seeing higher yield on those sites that you've either consolidated or replaced Yeah. What's that mix like?
3: Yep, so we largely had a balance of primarily just RV and tent sites. There were a handful of camping cabins and two deluxe cabins. We've now, on the RV front, we have added the deluxe patio RV sites that have Obviously, all of the full hookup, the nice pads with the amenities of the furniture and the grill and the umbrellas so that people literally are just rolling in, setting up, opening up their awning and cracking open their favorite beer or wine and camping has begun. We've also taken lower performing sites in the tent category and have added three glamping tents. We did that in 2019 when it was still a very emerging trend and those have done quite well for us as well as then flipping either rustic tent sites and using the space for four deluxe cabins in a little kind of a cul-de-sac of sorts with the, with the additional parking to accommodate those four And you just take it from a lower price point with that might be a good site, but not a lot of demand to something that is a higher price point with a lot of demand. And that truly has been our recipe for success. And all of that in a package of continuing to just strive for an exceptional experience for our guests. Camping, the camping industry is on fire and none of us in this industry should ever take advantage of the popularity of it. I look at it as we're being entrusted with the hard work and effort that our guests have done in whatever field that they're in, and they're exchanging that hard work for an experience. And they're coming to us. They want to have a good time with their family or their friends, and we owe it to them to really do nothing short of our very best. Like Shannon and her husband, my wife and I are campers, and we've camped through the years, had great experiences, have also had some bad experiences. And I like to think I... I can develop and uh, do, try to do nothing but the best by our guests.
0: hmm What, what, one follow-up question. I know KOA has released the new signature site kind of specs, right? For these big kind of high-end luxury sites. Do you have any plans to look at that or introduce that or work that into your park mix?
3: May, but not ready to necessarily announce that. I think really <laughs> what that's intended to do and for all of us, it just challenges us to meet the bar the ever increasing expectations of our guests. And I like to also, while we might do that to meet that niche, I also like to make sure that we have a balance in our portfolio of guests that might be a little more price conscientious so that we're not completely pricing ourselves out of some people's market, yet meeting a demand for a high quality
1: experience as well.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense
1: so i would love to hear and before i ask this question actually adam and justin shannon everybody who's on the call obviously nate's doing it but feel free to just step in and ask questions or if you have something to add like it's not a turn-based thing right i forgot to say that before we started but please we'd love to hear your obviously you guys have valuable input and we will get back to beyonder and your parks and things naturally in the conversation but mark i'd love to hear more about your journey from like newbie mark and carla koa franchise owners to where you are now which is we touched on briefly right you're culminating perhaps and so far culminating in your cnbc appearance and your work with care camps and things like that but how do you grow from a newbie who nobody knows within the koa ecosystem to somebody who's very clearly a leader now
3: yeah, I, pre- I appreciate that, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, it may be because all the old guys are getting out of the industry
1: and might just end up being on the top of the heap now, but, uh, but no. We- That's a very humble answer, right? I just wait for everyone to <laughs> die. he was good, and then I take over.
3: Yeah, no, it every day, you just keep one one foot in front of the other. There's always, at first, everything was brand new. As I said, being a part of KOA, we, we started, we became the owners of our property in the end of the summer but still had a third of the season left drinking out of the fire hose and in those early months everything's new everything's a surprise and a shock but you through it and just solve the problem as opposed to being paralyzed by it i had no greater joy than in november of 2016 when i stepped into the convention center of the koa convention that year to, to see a thousand people all wearing yellow and all swapping stories. Mm-hmm. Hey, I did that too, and I've been there as well. So it was very encouraging. And it's great to be a part of that network, but it's also great in, to be a part of that broader network as well. Like all of us on the show, and when you mentioned the CNBC story. I've had a lot of people that have reached out to me from that saying, hey, I'm kind of in the early stages of doing this or a completely different business, but I love the entrepreneurial side. Would you be willing to talk? And I've told them that I would, and just to offer them that there were people in my life that did that we were in those lean days so i'm happy to pay it forward but to your question brian i mean you just you as you address the problems you grow what i've loved about owning and operating a campground in contrast to my prior career where i might work guns uh, that were problems before me, problems during me, and will continue to be problems forever and ever, perhaps. In contrast, I hit the property of a 42-year-old park that needed a lot of TLC. We had a short list, actually a quite long list, of projects that we wanted to tackle, and we dedicated the time, energy, and resources to that. And in a short period of time, we could see completion. And we just did that over and over and over again, where now I look around and it's just, it's mind boggling to see what we did, but it has to all be strategic. It has to all be in balance, meeting the needs of our guests. Our guests are very forgiving when you add something new that they really like, and they look over your shoulder and see something that they don't like. They know you're going to get to it eventually, but in the big picture too, if I may, I'll take my little two cents. Brian talked about air camps. Being community-minded, my wife and I, not only are we boots on the ground as a as family-owned camp campground and interacting with our guests directly on a day-to-day basis, owning my own business now gives me a lot more flexibility to engage in other things. And care camps has been a tremendous passion of mine as well, specifically. In my prior career, I ended it working for what is now the largest health system in the state of Michigan. And I would often say, if ever I was having a bad day, all I needed to do in and you see a child pushing an ID pole, your problems get put into perspective quite quickly. So, I was excited, I'm excited to become a part of KOA and learn about Care Camps, which has been mm-hmm. we're selling actually we're going to be celebrating our 40th in 1984 is when uh, it started by a, a group of caring KOA franchisees and now has since grown to not only mm-hmm. be receiving support from KOA, but also from a number of players in and outside of the outdoor hospitality industry. We get to serve thousands of kids each year at 138 pediatric oncology camps all across North America. Who can't love that,
0: right? Note on that, it's not a KOA only thing. So Adam, Justin, Shannon, Scott, it is an industry-wide outdoor oriented camp for kids that, uh, that, that can't do that otherwise. So absolutely, that is absolutely to encourage right. you all to take a look at that. And if it's something that is moving to you, it's something that all of our parks contribute to very aggressively as well through the course of the season. It's part of our kind of core set of values at KCN. Also it's an amazing program.
3: That's Yeah, absolutely. Nate, we couldn't, we absolutely could not have grown to the levels that we have without partners beyond and outside care camps is its own 501 C3. And if anyone really is interested in it, they can find out more at Mm carecamps.org.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Mark. And then so then how, again, I think you partially started down that journey, but how does it culminate with the appearance on CNBC? There's obviously a lot of franchise owners and a lot of people who have a wealth of information within KOA. So how does Mark from Michigan yeah, CNBC.
3: end up at CNBC. That really is a credit to the great marketing team that we have here at KOA. They've, they keep in their Rolodex, if people remember what those are, are on a short list of some of the success stories within the system. And my wife and I happened to be one of them, and they were pitching our stories to various media outlets, ours and other successful franchisees within the system. And we just happened to garner the interest of CNBC that wanted us to tell our story. And it's not a unique story, but it is one that we've lived, obviously, very directly. So we're humbled by the success and the attention that has brought.
1: And again, it's not just attention on you. It's the opportunity that that gives you to help more people through their journey, KOA or not, right? That's right. And I think that's an equally important piece. At least that's how I would view it. I'm pretty sure that's how you view it, too
3: that's right no it it really can be quite terrifying when you decide to take a hard left turn or right turn from what you used to do for and jump into an industry you don't know Uh, fortunately for me my background also helped me navigate personally and then work with the leadership at koa when COVID hit i knew how to read our governor's orders i knew how to interpret what was coming from the feds and uh, i never closed a single day by the way uh, because nothing said that i had to but I hope we never have to go back
1: to those days either.
3: Can I get an amen?
1: (laughs) Okay, amen. So what else do we have on our, on our list here guys that
5: we want to talk about? Well, Shannon, I'm curious about your purchase and what has helped you decide what you add and change and how has that worked out for you?
6: That's a tough question on this property. We felt like we needed to change just about everything. The bones were there, but basically we had our hands in every single piece of the property every cabin we have 18 cabins all of them are either remodeled or brand new we built eight new ones over the last six months we had six existing yurts we renovated those and built three new ones we renovated the grounds at all of the rv sites because it's basically just a sea of gravel and so we needed to add some interest and some foliage and just green to the property. It was, it's There's multiple streams running through the property. So it already had that. Basically, every site is waterfront. So it had that beauty, but it's just a lot of gravel. So we added a large green space. We built a big pavilion and gathering area. So in this particular property, we touched literally the whole thing. I would say in the future, I think we've learned a lot from a renovation. And I don't know that will I think our next property might be a ground-up build. <laughs> After some of the things we've learned from this one, it it's been interesting. I think the thought of being able to get through a season and re- renovate as you go—that Mark was just talking about his process—it sounds so nice because <laughs> we've literally torn it apart and put it back together in the last six months. But- I, yeah, and I will say my husband, Thomas has a background in real estate development and also owns his own construction company. So without those two elements, we would not have been able to a raise the funds for a project like this, or be have the construction team that was needed to accomplish this in the time that we did essentially we live in chattanooga tennessee which is about three hours away from this property and we literally housed our construction teams from chattanooga on site up there so that they could accomplish it in our timeline it that's not going to work everywhere (laughs) it did here yeah
3: i must say,
1: say
3: i'm jealous shannon of your weather in tennessee in michigan our construction window is very tight
6: I bet we literally, we closed December 23rd and we hit the ground running like January 2nd or 3rd. (laughs) So yeah, we, and honestly had very few delays, no weather related delays whatsoever. Our only delays were plumbing issues and that septic issues and things like that, that we had to overcome. But yeah, we were pretty lucky. So those projects in the South are going to be like that, which is nice.
1: (laughs) Mark, if you're bored you could technically acquire another park in Tennessee. How many years has it been? How How much more can you possibly find to fix there? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, my, my wife and I at this point right
3: now are focusing on the R of the ROI equation and we've got ramped up a very successful seasonal park. And while there's always work to be done, whether it's physical nature or just the taxes and the marketing and the reordering of product for the year to come, we've actually enjoyed fixing up the park. has timed very nicely with all four of my kids becoming married individuals and not living under my roof anymore and I don't have the gravitational pull of grandkids yet my wife and I feel like we're in our 20s again only now this time we've got money and we, we, we spend it we spend it in a 34 foot motorhome that we travel south of by 10 during the off season
5: excellent it's got, I got a question for you I'm curious what kind of clientele you've been looking at, but I think that this industry has been mom and pop for so many years. And it's, I can see it in us too. Like the energy level is changing a little bit. What is, are those kind of the people that you're getting at this point? Are you finding people that are old, tired, actually want to keep the property perhaps with some cash flow? As Mark just mentioned, he's finally making money. Maybe you can step away for a minute and not be so involved.
2: You ask such a great question. And the answer is probably exactly what you're imagining. And that, It's all over the place. So just within the past year to date, we've had conversations with some mom and pop folks that have been looking to, and you really see that a lot with generational considerations, almost kind of like Mark just tagged on that the family gets involved, the parents get older, they got this from the folks and they don't have the interest in keeping it going or they do, they don't want to sell it. But they want to maintain some part of it, be active in it somehow. So, so so they're, so they'll work on the revenue on that piece. The other big one is we've seen a lot of institutional investors come into this space, a lot of people who are very sophisticated in traditional hospitality management models, like hotels and resorts. So we have managed properties for groups that have big hotel portfolios. That's a very different type of client because. That reports out of QuickBooks are not very impressive for them. And so you really want to have some high-end reporting. You really need to have some sophisticated property management system capabilities. You really want to be able to showcase your revenue management skills with that. So we've. And that's really, I think where Ivy management shines is just because Tom, our COO and myself both come from that hotel resort background. There's a lot of that same familiarity and the transfer of that financial reporting skills and everything in between. But really the other group that I'll throw out there are the passion projects. Those people that almost where Mark's story began, I think Mark's story probably could capture like at. Various stages of Mark's life. He might be experiencing this, but essentially- Every campground
1: owner has lived a piece of Mark's life.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So we've heard it all.
1: I have a question for Adam and Justin, because Shannon was talking about briefly, like she acquired the park, she fixed it up maybe next time, ground up development. Are you guys only looking to acquire parks and manage other properties? or Are you looking to perhaps delve into that world too?
4: Yeah, uh, we're doing both. So for us, it it just made sense to start with cash flowing properties, stuff that was going to make money day one, especially when we started out, again, attracting retail investors. They, that's what they want. They want returns right away. So they can't sit on the sidelines for a development and wait. It was just the demand we had at the time. We've since moved into properties that have opportunities for a larger expansion and development. So every, almost every opportunity we're looking at now that's existing, we're looking for something with that extra acreage and the demand for it the extra opportunities to just build it out and now we're just starting to get into the ground up development space so that's something we've been even though we were bullish about getting into the other stuff because we were familiar with real estate acquisition the development is something that we didn't have a background personally in so we're actually working on bringing in the right partners for that now we've got three different groups where i guess you could say dating to figure out who we want to move forward with but who have tremendous amounts of experience we've got a couple opportunities on the plate that could be unfolding in the next year or so that will be a new space for us i completely agree though. we felt shannon's pain of buying a place there are all the problems that are in there and no offense to mom and pop owners there's a lot of passion passionate mom and pops but a lot of mom and pops are very diy in their project totally. mm-hmm. and you get a you, we've uncovered a lot of really ugly situations when we bought a property and you go even though our due diligence has come a long way and as Justin alluded to we aren't buying places with bad pools anymore because we actually know to look for that stuff now you still can't catch everything. There are going to be surprises that come up on you. But, boy, building a new place and knowing that everything's brand new and the way you designed it, yeah, that's the dream right there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Although I've talked
3: to some friends who have built brand new, and they say everything goes at once when it starts to go. That's a so, well, point.
1: Which friends are these, Mark? We want to have a new... <laughs> <laughs>
3: Friends that have sold their parks, actually, right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: So they haven't lived the Mark dream yet. No. And hopefully never I do, because we don't want a piece where Mark has to sell his park, unless he wants to. Yeah.
3: He no, to I, get, the, I, get, to I get to stagger all of my repair jobs.
2: <laughs> what we've seen with the new parks is similar to what Shannon mentioned at the beginning. When a park is already running and you transfer the ownership, You've already got guests in house, all of your, the issues that you're working through, you already know, okay, we can operate while we tackle these issues and get these things addressed with a brand new build. When the, when you're waiting on water, you are waiting on water. You are or electric you are, pedestals
1: or whatever the shortage was of the last two mm-hmm, years. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You have that date on the calendar of we're opening this date and as you're getting close to it and you don't have that water or that pedestal, you're begging please have this ready we have guests arriving yeah they're both with their challenges for sure
5: yeah one of the things I enjoy most is when I go to a property and the clientele the guests are saying I love what you guys have done I love the changes that you've made there's nothing better than making Mm -hmm. people happy I think that's what we're all here to do and we take over a park and add amenities clean things up that's pretty fun too
0: hmm
6: Very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These, they have so many good, well, at least what we've found with our clientele is they've been building memories with their kids and grandkids for 30 or 40 years. And so it, it does, it feels really great to have them like walk in, like starry eyed at the changes and acknowledge how mm-hmm. beautiful that they think it is because that's... We literally had somebody stop through last week who had found out that the park had closed and literally came in with tears in her eyes because she was like, I thought you were gone. And because she had found out that the previous owners had decided to sell and just was passing through and saw that we were open and was just overcome with emotion over the fact that we were still here and had put love into it and made it more beautiful than it was before and fixed up the issues and that kind of thing. So it it feels really
3: good. I think to that point, Shannon, as we make improvements in our park, the price point that we can charge then can go up. And while there will always be people who will complain and they're looking basically for state park prices, but they want our amenities, there are a ton more people, especially post COVID that are looking for those higher end amenities and they're willing to pay for it. Absolutely. So it's, you raise your quality, you can raise, your price. and what I really love about our industry is that we're creating experiences for our guests that are still extremely competitive and affordable when compared to other types of vacations, let's say a big theme park that has a mouse as its mascot. We don't hold a candle to what we charge our guests, but we give them experiences that they'll even say this was so much better than going there.
1: Yeah. I read somewhere that Disney World was empty this summer, so I can't remember yeah. maybe it was C&C, I, I, I saw don't.
3: that article, too. They've got yeah. elbow room for sale.
4: But it is well, interesting. Mark, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, I've, please. Yeah. I've got Go a question on. for Mark on that last point. I'm glad you mentioned that because it was your earlier point about not wanting to price some of the people who are the hardworking people who have been coming for years out of the campground. And Justin and I not being in the day-to-day, we have the benefit of being able to sit up here in the main office and direct stuff down to the campgrounds about where we're going. A lot of what a lot of owner operators have run into that we've seen is that they they've kept their rates low, for example, year over year, because they don't want to lose their past guests. They're afraid of upsetting them. And they end up putting themselves in a position where they can't keep up with the times. They can't afford to upgrade their upgrade and update their park, keep the amenities up to date. So we end up buying these things and they're extremely depressed. So being boots on the ground, how do you manage that relationship with the guests and help them understand the value that they're getting when they when you raise the price and how you're able to reinvest that in the park while still trying to be their buddy
5: yeah
3: in the early days it was we were obviously there to impress them and as we raised the quality we raised the quality faster than we raised the price and they could see that they were getting more for their dollars and then by the time we started raising the price kept to catch up with what we had poured into and what we still had yet to do they were willing to do they saw the changes. Now, some of them I'll add as an owner operator, I thought I made the worst decision of my life, my first season, because a lot of the guests that came down, came to this park that literally looked like it was still in 1974, spent more money on their liquor than they did on their camping equipment. So I was happy to raise my price beyond their level of comfort so that they can still go drinking somewhere else. And I have other guests who are willing to enjoy the high quality experience we've now created. And we're both happy. You're never gonna You're never gonna satisfy 100%. No matter what we do, there's always gonna be somebody that will say, "Oh, the price is too high," or "I'm only sleeping here." I don't walk into the Hilton Hotel and ask for the penthouse, but not pay the penthouse price because all I'm gonna do is sleep in the bed that night. You're going into that. I, mean, I do,
1: but I'm a Marriott elite, and I <laughs> <laughs> think maybe because.
3: We got to find out how you get your member points for those beautiful uh, tropic locations you visit often brian i have
1: a lot of credit cards that's Give it sign- <laughs> <But sign-up laughs> yeah, bonuses. yeah
3: it's a balance and in our industry there will always be some lower end parts that those people who are more price conscientious will go to i cringe mm-hmm. as a former government affairs professional i cringe at the competition state and even federal government creates in our space. They take my tax dollars and now we got state parks all over the country that are putting in hookup sites and splash pads and different fun amenities that used to be pretty much the domain of just the private operated parts. Mm-hmm. Competition is everywhere, but fortunately, so is the demand. So there's rare, rarely, there's never a weekend in the summer that I don't have a full house. Midweek is that business that we all would love to capture. Mm-hmm. And I've been, we've been pleased to be able to capture our fair share of it. And Quite frankly, we all need to take naps and get off property when the park's not full. Yeah, it's all in balance, Adam.
6: And I think the way we look at that too is there's a time and a place, right? So there's a time and a place for that unplugged state park camping experience and then there's a time and a place for something a little different that's maybe a little higher end. Just you don't stay at an all-inclusive resort every time you travel. You Sometimes you're staying at the Holiday Inn and sometimes you're staying at, at somewhere else a little bit higher end. So I think it's the same thing with camping and what people are starting to realize is that Camping isn't just one thing. There's a whole spectrum of camping experiences, and there's a time where you do want that affordable experience, but there can also be that opposite end of the spectrum where you're looking for something a little more with a higher level of amenities, a higher level of service, a higher level of, of an experience in general. And so I think it's recognizing that we every camper is gonna have a mix of those experiences.
1: For sure. And that's something we could take like a whole nother show and unpack. We've only got three minutes here left, but that's a very it's a very good point is understanding your demographic, not just your current demographic, but the one you want to head towards. And then once you've identified that, realizing that, yes, you definitely want to take care of the people who have been longtime guests. You want to be cognizant of the working person who's been staying there forever. And so you have to balance that. But also, where do you want to head? Realizing that most people will respect the money that you're putting into it. And understanding that if you do have to raise prices, that there's a new and different type of camper that you just need to go out and attract through marketing, that will come and will pay those rates. And so it really just depends on what you want to do. But there's always that there's always a market out there, even if the demand continues even if demand continues but goes down. As if we're heading in whatever to we're heading into a recession, maybe not a recession. It changes every five minutes. I feel like on CNBC (laughs) constantly. But regardless of where that's headed. I think the next frontier is the experience which mark is already delivering which kcn i think has a value statement for which ivy puts into their park which beyonder probably does too which shannon obviously does with their and i just say probably adam and justin because i don't know more as much about you but shannon with her restaurant and the amenities at romestead and i think that's the experience that sets it you're not just going to come because it's a campground that's either luxury or not luxury or somewhere in between you're coming for that plus the do you still have warm cookies mark Um, or was it donuts it was donuts
3: it is is donuts we do donuts still Uh, like shannon said we have a pretty robust cafe serving espresso coffees first thing in the morning and the donuts and muffins and breakfast sandwiches
1: we even did avocado toast for a period but that's it right it's even if it's as small as donuts or a warm cookie or it's the upgraded amenities and the cabins for the spa type stuff Mm -hmm. or the friendly smile across the desk or like adam and justin said hiring the person who's actually invested and doesn't treat it like a job those are the kinds of things that are going to invest in and set you apart for the long term.
3: And what's different in our industry is that our guests are staying with us for more than Days defined period. You think of a restaurant. You might be at a really upscaled restaurant for a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour window. That seems like a long time, but it's nothing when our length of stay for our average guest is 3.1 days. You're living mm-hmm. with them, and all of us get to experience that. There's plenty of opportunities to wow them. There's also plenty of opportunities to let them down, and hopefully, we do more of the former.
1: I don't think you have a problem there. Thank so. you, sir. Yeah. Anybody else have any final thoughts? We've got about 50 seconds left. You're running out of time. worry talk, everyone, nobody talk okay. <laughs> I,
5: I just appreciate everyone being here and meeting you guys. I look forward to seeing you at the next big event, I guess. If we're Likewise.
6: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, same. This is great. Yeah, it
5: was a pleasure.
1: All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Really appreciate you being here for our campground Run Under-Focused episode. Next week, tune in. We'll be on our RV Industry Outdoor Rec. Focused episode, but super excited to see Scott, Nate, you guys back here next month. And obviously, we'll continue to check in with Adam and Justin, Shannon and Mark. And really appreciate you guys sharing all your stories. So take care and we will see you again soon.
2: All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everyone. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.